Okay. Show me. Sometimes that is better. Welcome to the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast. Be sure you never, ever scream. A podcast where we will explore the dark corners of our world, the weird, the creepy, and the strange. There are no accidents, no coincidences. I am your host, Eric Carrier. The boogeyman is real. And they must be coming night. My co-host is Jessica Carrier. Thank you for joining us for a journey into the unknown. Be one of us. Let's get started with today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the show. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal Podcast and I am your host, Eric Carrier. I am here as always with my wife and my co-host, Jessica. Jess, what do we have in store for our listeners today? Today, we are going to be discussing the Philadelphia Experiment, which is a top-secret military experiment that was supposedly conducted in 1943 by the U.S. Navy. This experiment may or may not have resulted in a ship becoming completely invisible and teleporting through space and time. It's a story that has been floating around conspiracy circles now for 78 years, and we are going to see if it's possibly true or a complete fabrication. Floating around conspiracy circles? I think that's a a play on words, don't you think, Jess? I think so, too. I like ships that are floating. All ships are floating, hopefully. For those of you who are our faithful listeners, and we know that applies to all of you, We just wanted to make you aware that uh, as last year, we will be taking the month of December off. We will be resting and visiting with some family during that time. And we look forward to being back rested and ready to go again in January. You don't have to worry. We are producing a couple of terabytes to keep you company during that time. Both of those will be Christmas related. And one of those will be carrying on our tradition of classic Christmas Eve horror stories to help you celebrate the spirit of the holidays. If you are a new listener and you are here for the first time, welcome. If you have been around for a while, welcome back. We know that there are a lot of shows out there that are competing for your time, and we appreciate you giving that time to us. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the show. If you would like to support the show, here are a few ways you can do that. First, please share and keep sharing the show. This is by far the most important thing you can do to help our show continue to grow. Next, please remember to keep voting for us each month in the Paranormal Top 25. This is sponsored by Paranormality Magazine, and you can vote for us at paranormalitymag.com. Another way that you can support the show is to check out our merch store or leave a tip or review. And lastly, come hang out with us on social media. We have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and love to hang out and meet you guys there. All of those accounts, our merch store and our tip jar, can be accessed through our website at prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. Jess, is there anything else? Nope. Okay, let's get started with today's show.
The Philadelphia Experiment is an alleged military experiment that was supposed to have been carried out by the U.S. Navy in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, sometime around October 28, 1943. During the experiment, the U.S. Navy destroyer escort USS Eldridge was claimed to have been rendered invisible and teleported to Norfolk, Virginia for several minutes before reappearing back in the Philadelphia shipyard. While conspiracy theorists insist that the events actually occurred and were covered up by the U.S. government, the U.S. Navy maintains that no such experiment was ever conducted. The story of the Philadelphia experiment originated in late 1955, when Carl M. Allen sent an anonymous package marked Happy Easter to the U.S. Office of Naval Research. The package contained a copy of Morris K. Jessup's book, The Case for the UFO, Unidentified Flying Objects. The book was filled with handwritten annotations in the margins, written in three different shades of blue ink, and detailed a debate among three individuals who referred to themselves as gypsies. Only one of the individuals is named, and that name is Jimmy. The other two individuals are simply referred to as Mr. A and Mr. B. The annotations detailed their discussion on Jessup's ideas about UFO propulsion, discussed alien races, and expressed concern that Jessup was close to discovering their technology. They also discussed two different types of people living in outer space and detailed a lengthy discussion on the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were also references to a certain Philadelphia experiment. Shortly thereafter, in January 1956, Allen then began sending a series of letters to Jessup using both his given name, Carl M. Allen, as well as the pseudonym, Carlos Miguel Allende. The first letter warned Jessup not to investigate the levitation methods of UFOs. Allen supported his warning by detailing a dangerous science experiment based on theories supported by Albert Einstein. The experiment was allegedly based on aspects of the unified field theory, an Einsteinian theory that attempts to describe mathematically and physically the interrelated nature of the forces of electromagnetism and gravity, thus uniting their respective fields into a single field. The letters further claimed a scientist named Franklin Reno put these theories into practice at a Philadelphia naval shipyard in October 1943. Allen claimed to have witnessed this experiment firsthand while serving aboard the SS Andrew Furuseth. In Allen's account, the USS Eldridge, a destroyer escort, was successfully made invisible, but then unexpectedly and inexplicably teleported for several minutes to Norfolk, Virginia, over 200 miles, and then reappeared back in the Philadelphia shipyard. According to Allen, after the experiment, the ship's crew suffered severely from various side effects, including insanity, physical phasing in and out of reality, being frozen in place, and even becoming intertwined with the ship itself. Jessup wrote back to Allen requesting more information, but Allen stated that he had no more. 
but suggested that he may be able to remember more under hypnosis or under truth serum. After more than 50 plus letters, Jessup grew frustrated with Alan's inability to produce physical evidence and dropped the matter. Then, in 1957, Jessup was unexpectedly invited to the Office of Naval Research, where he was shown the annotated copy of his book. Jessup immediately noticed that the handwriting of the annotations resembled the letters that he had received from Allen, and suggested that Allen was actually the person who was responsible for it. Two special projects officers at the ONR, Captain Sidney Sherby and Commander George W. Hoover, took a personal interest in the matter. Sherby and Hoover were deeply involved in satellite development and supervised systems which would later place the first U.S. satellite into orbit. Some conspiracy theorists have expressed the belief that they may have also been conducting or coordinating gravity research, which is possibly what sparked their interest. Hoover later explained that his duties as a special projects officer required him to investigate many publications and that he ultimately found nothing of substance to the alleged invisibility experiment and the investigation was dropped. Or was it? Sherby, it seemed, started discussing the annotations with Austin and Stanton. Stanton was the owner of the Vero firm, which was involved in aerospace design and manufacturing for the military. Stanton was intrigued, and the Military Assistance Division of Vero contacted Jessup, obtained permission, and began producing copies of Jessup's book with the annotations and Allen's letters included. This resulted in 127 copies of the book, which came to be known as the Vero edition. Jessup continued his research into UFOs and attempted to publish more books, but his efforts were ultimately unsuccessful. After losing his publisher and experiencing a succession of downturns in his personal life, Jessup took his own life in his automobile by carbon monoxide poisoning on April 30, 1959. Vero editions are considered a collector's item today, but beware, there's a tradition of bad luck connected to this edition. Owners' homes have reportedly burned down or have suffered from other strange circumstances. For instance, Edward J. Ruppelt, former head of Project Blue Book, suffered a fatal heart attack shortly after reading a borrowed copy. This, of course, would also include Jessup's suicide. There have been several different and sometimes contradictory versions of the alleged experiment that have circulated over the years. The following offers a general synopsis of the accounts covering key story points common to most of the accounts. The experiment was allegedly based on aspects of the unified field theory. According to the accounts, researchers thought that some version of this field would enable large electrical generators to bend light around an object via refraction, making the object completely invisible. The Navy, seeing the military value, sponsored the experiment. The goal was to create stealth technology that would render the USS Eldridge invisible not only to radar, but to the naked eye. Most accounts of the experiment state that the USS Eldridge was fitted with the required equipment in Philadelphia at the Naval Shipyard and testing began in the summer of 1943. One of the early tests reportedly resulted in the Eldridge being rendered nearly completely invisible 
with some witnesses reporting a greenish fog appearing in its place. When the experiment was over, several of the crew members complained of severe nausea and reportedly when the ship reappeared, some of the sailors were embedded and fused with some of the metal structures of the ship, including one sailor who ended up a deck below where he began with his hand embedded in the steel hull of the ship. Some reports indicate that some of the sailors went completely bananas. None of these allegations have been independently substantiated. The story then goes that the experiment was repeated on October 28, 1943, despite the equipment not being properly recalibrated. This time, the Eldridge not only became invisible, but completely disappeared in a flash of blue light and reportedly teleported to Norfolk, Virginia over 200 miles away. The claims state that the Eldridge then set for some time in view of the men aboard the SS Andrew Furiseth. The Eldridge then vanished again and reappeared back in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard, right back in the spot it had originally occupied. Some claim that the warship also traveled through time and went approximately 10 minutes back in time. So why have none of these claims been independently substantiated? Well, according to conspiracy theorists, the ship's crew may have been subject to brainwashing to maintain the secrecy of the experiment. The story was relatively unknown to the public until 1979, when Charles Berlitz, a best-selling author, and his co-author, ufologist William L. Moore, published the book, The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility. The book claimed to be a factual account and used the Alan Jessup letters to tell the bizarre story, discuss lost unified field theories by Albert Einstein, and ultimately alleged that the government had covered it all up. The story was adapted into a 1984 movie called The Philadelphia Experiment. Let me tell you, Jessica, it is a truly 1984 movie with age-appropriate special effects. Too bad I missed it. Oh, you don't have to miss it. We could watch it right now. Maybe what we'll do is we'll put the trailer for the movie in as our mid-roll for this episode. Perfect. As with any conspiracy theory, the story is ripe with controversy. The main one is the overall lack of evidence. Historian Mike Dash notes that many authors who published material on the Philadelphia experiment after Jessup appear to have conducted little or no research on their own with much of the research being nothing more than regurgitation and dramatic embellishment rather than pertinent research. Berlitz and Moore's account of the story, for instance, claimed to be factual and even included transcripts of an interview with a scientist they claimed was involved in the experiment. But their work has long been criticized for plagiarism, taking key elements from the novel Thin Air, which was published a year earlier than their book. Another controversy is the lack of people coming forward. Of the thousands who should have witnessed such an event, only two people have ever come forward claiming to be part of the experiment. Carlos Allende, or Carl Allen, who claimed to have been on board the SS Furiseth and witnessed the Eldridge appear and disappear in Norfolk. And Alfred Bielik, who came forward in 1989 claiming had been aboard the USS Eldridge during the experiment. These two characters in this bizarre story 
are also seen to be very controversial. Let's take a look at Carl Allen and Alfred Bielek a little closer. Carl Allen was born on May 31, 1925 in Springdale, Pennsylvania. He was the eldest of five children. In 1942, he joined the U.S. Marine Corps, but was discharged less than a year later after he enlisted as a United States Merchant Marine. He did serve on the SS Andrew Furiseth, as well as other ships until 1952 when he left the service. While researching the Philadelphia Experiment, in 1979, Robert Gorman, a paranormal researcher, noticed that the return address of Olende's original mailing to the Office of Naval Research came from his own hometown of New Kensington, Pennsylvania. As he looked into this, he found to his great surprise that Carlos Olende, whose real name was Carl Allen, was the son of a close family friend. Carl was described by his family as brilliant in school, with a fantastic mind, but also as a drifter, never holding a job for long. He was also known as a master leg puller, pulling pranks on people or feigning illness to get out of work in general. Alan was also famous for annotating anything and everything and sending bizarre writings and claims to everyone in his family. Gorman ultimately found documents that suggested that the entire Philadelphia experiment may have been concocted by Carl as a prank. Consider this letter Gorman discovered tucked inside a copy of the Vero edition that Carl sent to his father dated March 30th, 1978. It reads, Dear Mom and Dad, Enclosed as a book I co-authored with Professor Morris K. Jepson of the University of Michigan nigh 24 years ago. Do not ever part with this book because its original price was $25. And so this book I helped to write alone by myself with no Mr. A or Mr. B. It's hard not to take Carl's own admittance found in this letter seriously. He says it right there, alone and by myself. He firmly states that he or himself co-authored the book and wrote all three of the annotated character parts. Because of this and other cracks in Carl's character, Gorman's research ultimately concluded that Carl Allen was a hoaxer, likely mentally ill, and that the Philadelphia experiment was a complete fabrication. He stated this, quote, so there it is, no advanced aliens living among us in enforced secrecy, no gypsies with access to secret records or racial memory unavailable to most human beings, none of the wild theories had the slightest basis in reality. The Vero edition is the key to nothing, and Allen, not an alien, concocted it all." End quote. Carl died in 1996 in Greeley, Colorado, and maintained his involvement even up to his death. The news the paper for Colorado's Centennial County interviewed him in 1986, in which he stated in an article entitled, Mystery Man Offers Deathbed Statement, quote, the Philadelphia experiment worked. That was what frightened the military. They didn't know what Einstein was doing. He used them to accomplish his own research in propulsion. He believed we could travel faster than the speed of light. That's what he was doing and they didn't even know it." End quote. And this quote, They did experiments then, 
I say they must have done it 144 times. I don't know. At least a thousand men have seen the ship become invisible. They radiated the target ship with electromagnetic beams. It started out as an experiment in degaussing ships so they wouldn't attract mines, and in making ships invisible to radar. But Einstein took it further than anyone expected. He made the ship invisible to your eyes." End quote. He also said this, What Einstein proved was that invisibility is a precursor to propulsion beyond the speed of light. Invisibility is nothing more than the precondition to a practical utilization of the magnetic field related to the Einstein tunnel propulsion system. There is nothing to be afraid of with invisibility. This means that the door is open for star travel for all Americans. We must do it. We must proceed. This is the future. And then this final quote. America has had the answers since 1943. All the answers are right under the nose of NASA and the Department of Defense, but they are still afraid. The secret is that the Philadelphia experiment is repeatable. It should be repeated again and again. It will lead to star travel and to a fleet of starships capable of protecting America. Travel faster than light has been documented as a phenomenon. Now we must learn again what Einstein knew in 1943. Man can create transportation at speeds faster than light." End quote. Al Bielik is also a controversial figure. According to Bielik, the true purpose of the Philadelphia experiment wasn't invisibility, it was time travel. After seeing the Philadelphia experiment movie in 1988, 57-year-old Al Bielik couldn't shake the feeling that he'd seen it somewhere before. After undergoing various forms of hypnosis and new age therapies, Bielik's mind was assaulted with repressed memories of having worked in the 70s and 80s on the Montauk Project. He believed that his memories had been locked away to keep the experiment secret. As his memories came flooding back, he learned that he wasn't actually Al Bielik at all, but Edward Cameron and that in his mid-twenties, he had worked on the Philadelphia experiment with his brother, Duncan Cameron. A few years later, Al presented his story at a MUFON conference. He asserted that the Philadelphia experiment was real and that he was the proof. Bielik claimed that sometime in the 1940s, Nikola Tesla figured out how to make the USS Eldridge invisible and that the process opened up a time wormhole into the future that sucked the ship in. Both Cameron brothers were on board, and both jumped off the vessel and landed 40 years into the future on August 12, 1983, at Camp Hero in Montauk, New York. The military promptly sent them back through the wormhole with a mission to destroy the equipment on the Eldridge. According to Bielik, the brothers completed their mission though the government continued doing experiments on building portals. During this speech at Wufan, Bielik described in vague terms how he'd been de-aged, had his memory wiped, and had been forced to live out the rest of his life as Al Bielik. He also explained that in the early 1960s, he, as Edward, convinced his father to have another child so they could transport Duncan's consciousness from 1983 to 1963. Bielik referred to this version of Duncan 
as a walk-in soul. Bielik's stories circulated and gained the attention of Preston Nichols, who befriended Bielik. In The Montauk Project Experiments in Time, Nichols writes of his time working at Camp Hero on secret experiments. Specifically during the 1970s, he claimed he worked with Bielik on something called the Montauk Chair, a piece of furniture that used electromagnetics to amplify psychic powers. Duncan Cameron was found to have powerful psychic abilities and was the focus of many of the Montauk Chair experiments. Apparently Duncan could manifest objects just by thinking about them while in the chair. Nichols continued to experiment with Duncan and tried to harness his powers in the Montauk chair to conduct mind control experiments using special radio dishes at Camp Hero. After several years of experimenting with Duncan in the Montauk chair, Nichols claims that they could reliably travel to other times and places, including distant places such as Mars. At one point in 1983, Nichols' superiors told him to turn on the Montauk chair and leave it running. As the story goes, the Montauk chair and the USS Eldred, with power at both ends, successfully created a time wormhole to 1943, making it possible for Ed and Duncan Cameron to travel in time from 1943 to 1983. Nichols indicates that it was at this time that we realized that time travel was way too complex and far too dangerous to be messing around with and decided that the project needed to be shut down. He and three colleagues hatched a plan to use Duncan to sabotage the project. From his book, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, it reads, We finally decided we'd had enough of the whole experiment. The contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering, the time is now. At this moment, he let loose a monster from his subconscious, and the transmitter actively portrayed a hairy monster. It was big, hairy, hungry, and nasty. But it didn't appear underground in the null point. It showed up somewhere on the base. It would eat anything it could find, and it smashed everything in sight. Several people saw it, but almost everyone described a different beast." End quote. Nichols then smashed all of the equipment that powered the Montauk chair before the beast disappeared back into nothingness. The incident ensured that the project would be shuttered. Nichols and Bielik then claimed that all the employees were then brainwashed to forget their involvement and, in 1984, the lower levels of the base were filled in with cement. Nichols and Bielik both maintained throughout their lives that these types of experiments dealing with the expansion of human consciousness and time travel are still going on somewhere and somehow. It is therefore not surprising that sporadic reports still occur that the abandoned Camp Hero base still occasionally draws vast levels of power despite being inactive. The truth about Camp Hero, Nichols, Duncan, and Bielik, their experiments and what really happened there will likely never be known because what really happened there continues to be concealed beneath multiple layers of rumor and myth. 
All right, folks, that is going to do it for the first half of the show. If you stick around, we'll be back with some more discussion. We'll talk about a third witness who's come forward. We'll also talk about some timeline inconsistencies, some more controversies, and a really big rabbit hole that still seems to be open with regards to this case. October 1943. The United States government authorized an experiment that would render its ships undetectable by radar. The experiment took place on a ship in Philadelphia Harbor. Generators activated, sir. For 41 years, the government denied it ever happened. I don't believe this. The Eldridge has vanished. Of course she has. She's radar invisible. No, sir. She's really vanished. But one ship did disappear, and two of the crew suddenly find themselves in the present. Maybe all this isn't real. You tell me this is my imagination? You think the Navy knows what they're doing? You saw the guys on the boat? This wasn't supposed to happen, Jimmy. Michael Perret. Somehow we got moved in time. This now, this time, it's not ours. 1943 was yesterday for me. Nancy Allen. What sort of experiment is it? Is it some kind of secret thing? Is that it? Well, all that stuff I told the doctors back there, you know, about time in 1943. Do you believe it? I believe that you believe it. And Bobby DiCicco. Don't leave me there. can't go through this again. The Philadelphia Experiment. They opened a hole in time, and it stayed open. Good God, there it is. Now the government needs the one man who can stop the experiment. We are back. If you would like to catch that beautiful B-grade movie called The Philadelphia Experiment, 
you can catch that on Tubi. Uh, it's available there for free. It can be rented through YouTube or Google Play or Vudu as well. But why pay for it when you can get that experience for free? <laughs> All right, Jess, let's jump into this segment by you giving our listeners a full scientific breakdown of the unified field theory. Go. I got nothing. Yeah, me neither. Uh, neither of us are physicists, if you haven't figured that out yet, and uh, cannot give you any more information on the unified field theory other than it is experimental, and it has, to my knowledge, not been proven as of to date. Unless you count the Philadelphia experiment. Which has also not been proven to date. <laughs> <laughs> so here is the first thing that I will say. If you think that the United States military or any world military is not interested in this type of experimentation or not interested in this type of research, then you are just simply fooling yourselves. So is that the research of making things invisible or the research of moving things through time and space? Oh, absolutely both. If you can make your fleets or your planes or any of your equipment invisible to radar or to sonar or to human sight, that is a huge advantage over other militaries. And if you could teleport your equipment to other locations anywhere throughout the world, that is also a huge advantage. Or if you can go back in time and maybe change things a little bit. That would be a huge advantage, too. So what military would not want that? We also know that the military has been working on this type of technology for a very long time. We have lots of different types of stealth vehicles that are part of the military complex. They have stealth ships. They have stealth helicopters. They have stealth airplanes. They have stealth boats. All of these things are real, and this is all technology that the military is definitely working on. Yes, but I don't think that they were actually working on Einstein's theories and trying to put people through time or actually make them physically invisible. They may be trying to refract lighter around them or things like that, but I'm not sure it got to the point of the Philadelphia experiment. Why? Mostly because the, the witnesses that come forth don't seem to be very credible. And there seems to be no, nothing like that today that we know of. I've, I haven't heard of any invisible ships or invisible airplanes. There's ones that have really good camouflage, but I haven't seen or heard of any, at least today. Maybe that's the point. Maybe I'm not supposed to know about them. Just think about how long the military was probably working on the stealth bomber before we, the citizens of the United States, figured out that it was actually a real project. Yeah, I don't know how long. That's probably classified information. How long have people been talking about triangular shaped objects or flying objects that appear in the sky? And then we find out that this stealth bomber is, you know, triangular shaped and it's in that shape for a tactical reason. Now we know, or at least we assume, that there is no current technology that relates to a vehicle being invisible to the naked eye, we know that it can be invisible to radar, that it can be invisible to sonar, that it can be invisible to torpedoes. But ultimately, I think that you are right. We are not aware of any of this technology being readily available, but I know that they are working on such technology. For instance, there is a company out of Canada called Hyper Stealth, 
which is working on invisibility technology that uses shields to refract light around objects, which essentially makes them invisible. So while invisibility to the eye may be something that is very close to becoming a reality, I don't think that teleportation or time travel is there, at least not to our uh, quote-unquote species. <laughs> so Jess, you mentioned that the witnesses uh, were not overly reliable. Uh, let's discuss that. Carl Allen, what are some of your concerns with him? Well, he seems to be rather brilliant, but he also seems to have not a firm grasp on reality. I would agree with that. I think that probably by today's standard, Carl Allen would probably be diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. I agree. He would definitely have some form of psychiatric diagnosis. But the one thing that I just cannot get over with regards to Carl Allen is his own admission in the letter that he sent to his father that he was the one who wrote all three parts of the annotations that were sent to Jessup and the Office of Naval Research. Yes, the fact that he admits that he wrote the annotations as three different people, and he maintained the belief that he was the co-author of the book because of this. I don't really care that people considered him to be a master leg puller or a prankster. Just because someone is a prankster or a leg puller does not mean that they cannot tell the truth. Or that they are purposely hoaxing someone all the time. Correct. Now, while he did retract his story on a couple different occasions, he did actually retract those retractions and stuck with the story throughout his entire life up to his death. Yeah, deathbed confessions tend to be taken pretty seriously. Yeah, most people use that opportunity as a means to relieve themselves of guilt, and it's not really a time where someone would continue to perpetuate a hoax. And Al Bielik, I, ooh, that story is wild. If I'm being honest, and we've talked about this in other episodes, I have a lot of trouble with repressed memories being brought back via hypnosis. As we've discussed previously, hypnosis doesn't just recall repressed memories. Hypnosis can literally recall any memory. So him recalling these incidences after watching the Philadelphia Experiment movie in 1988 could be just hypnosis pulling him watching the movie. It seems like a lot of the things that happened to him or that he said happened to him are very similar to the things that happened in the movie. It is true. If you've seen the movie, it is very, very similar. And Al Bielik even says himself that the movie represents a large part of what he remembers. So when you're under a state of hypnosis, you're very susceptible to suggestions. And so if you pull up a memory and it's suggested that this might be the true memory, or maybe your brain suggests it's a true memory, it can be very confusing. That does not change the wild aspect of the story, though, does it? No, it doesn't. And maybe something did happen to him, but it's hard for him to remember due to brainwashing. I don't know for sure, but it does seem kind of out there. The Montauk Project is actually something that we should probably come back to and do a full episode on. It is a really interesting story, and just the information that we've shared on it so far probably reminds you of a certain Netflix series, Jess. What series would that be? Yeah, Stranger Things. Love that show. Yeah, it's a great show. And the first season is highly based off of the Montauk Project. In fact, the series was originally named Montauk. 
Really? I didn't know that. That is true. And the story does get much wilder with child abductions and child experiments. All right, Jess, my next question is this. If there were thousands of sailors on these ships, why have only two people ever come forward? That is a good question. You'd think that they would have more people that would want to talk about this, even though they have military secrecy. There'd be, it seems like there'd be more than just two people coming forward. Yeah, unless brainwashing is extremely effective, you would think that there would be more witnesses. Yeah, it'd have to be like a really universal brainwashing where everyone from every ship was given the same story all at the same time. It just seems kind of weird that there are no more witnesses. Well, it turns out that in 1994, there was a third witness that came forward. A French-born astrophysicist by the name of Jacques Vallée published an article in the Journal of Scientific Exploration titled Anatomy of a Hoax, the Philadelphia Experiment 50 Years Later. In a previous article that he had put out, he asked for anyone who had any information on this to contact him with further information. And he was contacted by a gentleman by the name of Edward Dudgeon. And I think that this person in particular has brought forth the most credible explanation of the possible events surrounding the Philadelphia experiment. Edward was in the Navy from 1942 to 1945, and he was a electrician, and he was serving on a ship called the USS Ingstrom. And according to him, the Ingstrom and the Eldridge were docked at the same time in the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard in the summer of 1943 because both ships were doing classified research. And while it had to do with invisibility, it did not have to do with invisibility from the naked eye. According to him, the ships were both fit with devices that scrambled their magnetic signature, and they did this with large generators, lots of cabling, and large amounts of electricity. The purpose of these devices was to scramble the ship's magnetic signature, and through a technique called degaussing, the ship was enabled, quote-unquote, invisible to magnetic mines and or magnetic torpedoes. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, you are right. That does sound more logical. In fact, this degaussing technique is still used on ships today. And it wasn't invented by Einstein or Tesla, but it was actually invented by a Canadian, Charles F. Goodev, from the Royal Canadian Naval Volunteer Reserve. And this technique was widely used in World War II to keep ships safe from torpedoes and mines. As far as the rumors of invisibility, degaussing is used to make a ship invisible to certain things like mines and torpedoes, but it doesn't make a ship invisible to the eye. Dudgeon thinks that the rumors surrounding invisibility was simply sailor talk and the unfamiliarity with the degaussing technique. Here is a quote from uh, Dudgeon. It says, They sent the crew ashore, and they wrapped the vessel in big cables. Then they sent high voltages through these cables to scramble the ship's magnetic signature. This operation involved contract workers, and of course, there were also merchant ships around. So civilian sailors could have heard Navy personnel saying something like, 
they're going to make us invisible, meaning undetectable by magnetic torpedoes, end quote. As far as the green glow that was seen, he also had an explanation for this and said that that could be due to either an electrical storm or through the phenomenon of St. Elmo's fire. Jess, can you explain St. Elmo's fire to our audience? I know there's a movie from the 1980s called St. Elmo's Fire. That is true, but I don't think that that's what he's talking about in this instance. St. Elmo's Fire is actually a weather phenomenon in which plasma is created from a rod-like object such as a mast or a spire or a chimney. Basically, the electrical field around the affected object causes ionization of the air molecules around the object and it produces a faint glow that is uh, easily visible with low light conditions. Given the high levels of electricity that they were using in this experiment, this is absolutely a real possibility. Dudgeon also explains how the ship could have mysteriously arrived in Norfolk in a short amount of time, and he says that during the war, the Navy used special inland canals that were off-limits to commercial vehicles, and these special canals allowed the trip to be completed in six hours rather than two days via the long route. So Dungeon's story, while it makes a lot of sense, still creates some controversy, and that is that Dungeon's story does not match with Navy records or Navy logs. Really? Yes, really. It also contradicts with statements that were made by the actual crew of the Eldridge. Government logs actually state that the USS Eldridge was in New York in October of 1943. And the crew also confirms this. When asked at a Navy reunion in 1999 about this, the crew said that the Eldridge had never made port in Philadelphia. Ever. So what does that mean then? What is the truth? I don't know if we will ever know the truth. It either happened or it didn't happen. Conspiracy theorists will certainly say that it's because of brainwashing or erased memories or because the U.S. government covered it up and falsified blogs, which could all be a real possibility because we know the U.S. government has conducted some pretty shady experiments in the past. Mm-hmm. So 78 years later, this is still a bit of a mystery. I feel like Dungeon's statement ticks a lot of boxes. It's certainly logical, and I feel like that's probably the most likely explanation for the Philadelphia experiment. But for me, there's also one really huge rabbit hole that's still open that doesn't allow me to put a nail in its coffin. And that is, why was Morris Jessup called to the Office of Naval Research if there wasn't some form of truth in his book or in the annotations. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Why even bother with him in the first place if there is no truth to any of it? The Navy should have had records that automatically proved this false, right? Yeah, it should be either that or it's not even a threat at all. But there was something to it. There was some realm of truth, I believe, that perked their interest, and they had to ask the question of 
how does Jessup know about this? And how does Carl Allen know about this? And how do we stop it or how do we squash it? There's just simply no reason to put this amount of investigation into a false claim. I absolutely agree. And that is the one huge rabbit hole that still doesn't sit well with me, which makes me believe that there is at least some truth to some of these claims. I just don't understand why the government would allow officers just to waste time and resources investigating something that they could easily prove as 100% bogus by just simply looking at naval records. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. So somewhere in here is the truth of the story, and I cannot tell you which version of truth that is. You know, I think most people can't. So if you know the truth behind the Philadelphia experiment, we would love to hear from you, and we would love to interview you. Yes, contact us anytime. Although 78 years later, unless you've been de-aged like Al Bielik, you're probably dead. <laughs> so why does the Philadelphia experiment continue to endure? Is it because conspiracy theorists will not simply let it go? Or is it because there is a general mistrust in the military and the government, who we know and who has admitted to carrying out unethical experiments on its own soldiers and citizens? Is it because the claims are associated with well-known scientists such as Einstein and Tesla and secret technology and scientific theories that just remain slightly out of reach? The truth is, we may never know. But one thing is for certain. 78 years later, the Philadelphia Experiment refuses to die. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us. We will see you next time. All right, folks, that is the end of this episode. We want to thank you for joining us and let you know that we appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you would like to share an experience, be on the show, or submit a story, you can do that through our email at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com or through our website at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com. So, until next time, remember, don't be normal if you can be paranormal.